Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got Jody Haugen, who is a TBRI practitioner and an occupational therapist of many years working in the early intervention phase of OT. So she works with um, infants and parents of infants um, to do early intervention for everything. And you'll hear her talk about the scope of work that she does. Um, Fascinating conversation with her. Um, She explains everything from kind of early um, formation of the sensory systems to one of the most mind-blowing facts I've ever heard about how many different brain connections are happening with each second of life going by in a child's first year. Um, you do not want to miss that. It is it is fascinating. She also talks about some very practical uh, tips and tools for you to build connection and attachment with your infant. Um, so whether you are a parent of an infant or uh, you know a parent of an infant, um, a really, really helpful uh, interview today with Jody. Uh, Becca McKay joins us as well. Um, just a really great conversation. So without any further ado, here she is, Jody and Becca and myself talking about uh, early intervention, occupational therapy, and nurturing our babies. Well, as we mentioned in the introduction, in the introduction we've got uh, Jody Haugen with us today, and she is an OT. Uh, we also have Becca McKay with us. And so, um, We want to talk today, we're starting a series uh, talking about nurture specifically. So as as you've been listening along live, as we're airing these, um, earlier in the year, we did a series beginning to talk a lot about structure and discipline and all of that. Um, If you missed those, you can definitely go back and listen to them. But we want to talk about nurture specifically. Um, Obviously, you know, with, with, uh, everything that we do. We want to talk about creating a balance, finding the right balance between structure and nurture. Uh, and so to do that, we have Jody, Jody here with us today. And so um, I, well, let's do this. Jody, before we ask you to share your story, Becca, will you just kind of introduce the idea, uh, frame this idea for us before we jump in today? Absolutely. As we jump into this series on nurture, we're going to look at through the lifespan. So we're going to kind of highlight a component of what it might look like to nurture infants today. And then um, next week, it'll be our, our we'll, we'll just move up the ladder. We'll do toddlers. We'll do all the way up to young adults. And so if you're interested in a specific age group, stay tuned and stick with us. Um, obviously, you know, the topic nurturing infants, like you could almost talk about that for 50 hours. <laughs> There's so many aspects of it. And so, um, you know, you think about nurturing a baby, uh, you know, you think about those newborn parents up through the night, feeding them every couple hours. You think about um, the social skills, playing peekaboo as they take their first steps, all those things. But Jody, we specifically wanted to invite because of her expertise with the sensory processing systems that babies are born with, with their early experiences. Um, and then even uh, we're excited today to talk about something that JD and I don't know a lot about, infant massage. So that yeah. idea of how healthy touch really nurture an infant. And so um, Jody, we're just that you're going to bring your expertise um, and that wisdom that you have from your practice here for us to learn from today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm actually really excited to be here. And I assume you want to know a little bit about where I come from. Um, Like you said, I've been an occupational therapist for it's it's 27 years now. And 16 of those have been in early intervention. So for those who don't know, early intervention is working with the birth to three population. And it's 
it's completely different than what you might think of as, in, as traditional occupational therapy or other therapy services, because we're typically going into people's homes. And when we're working with babies, we're really working with parents. We do a lot of parent coaching. So, um, and then I completed my TBRI certification. Gosh, I don't know if that was maybe five years ago. And my infant massage certification uh, was, I think, in like 2012. So I've been doing that for quite a long time. I have graduate training in sensory integration. That's a really big part of what I do in early intervention is working with babies and toddlers who have sensory challenges. So um, I hope I can share some tidbits that are interesting today. Okay. Well, number one, all of that background it makes me so excited because there's no pressure on Becca and I to actually share anything today because you've got it covered. Um, I, let's start here if we can. I, I will say just from personal experience. So one of our kids, um, early, early on, we noticed probably around, you know, one and a half, two years old that um, there were just some some things that we just didn't have answers for. We weren't sure, uh, are, is this kiddo like behind developmentally? Or, or we just didn't know what we were looking for. But because because we had had other kids before, we kind of knew, all right, maybe some things are not developing as quickly as we thought um, here or there. There's, there were just some things that we just didn't have answers for. And so um, we were really fortunate to be in Memphis and to be able to seek out the help of an occupational therapist. And it completely changed our lives. So if you would, will you just kind of start with, you know, why, why do you have a job working with infants? Like what, what might the need even be? So can you talk about kind of birth and, and what is happening at birth that might cause a need for an OT to step in? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. There, there's, there's a lot happening. And first, let me talk about um, one part of your question, the services question and why I have a job. And why these services are here, and we can thank our government actually because this is part of a, a federally funded grant program to states early intervention. So wow. this service is available in every state. Um, it looks a little bit different. I'm in Michigan, and our services are offered through the school system, and they are entirely free to families. So we accept referrals from um, from parents from. Um, caseworkers from hospitals, babies who are exposed um, prenatally are automatic referrals to our program. Okay. So as far as getting support, parents should know that early intervention services are available in their state and they can um, it, do a Google, Google search for early intervention and it, it should come up with whatever their program is. In Michigan, it's called early on, but in other states, it's, you know, I think like in Indiana, it's called first steps. So just varies. But so that's why I have a job. Thank you, government. <laughs> um, yeah. And then then all of the things that that I work with as an OT, maybe that's how I can kind of address some of the the, yeah. you know, the things that that come up in early intervention and um and and how we address those. So as an OT, I receive a lot of referrals for for babies who come home uh, who have prenatal exposure, who might come home with other medical challenges, feeding challenges. And when you think of all of those those medical challenges that happen, those are all, you know, forms of trauma or disruption in in how it should normally go when a baby comes home. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah those can all contribute to to some of the, you know, later developmental delays. So, 
Um, and then we also have a whole staff of, you know, we have PTs, physical therapists, social workers, speech therapists, and special education teachers who address the needs of the children all the way until they're, they're three. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great program that parents, if they have any concerns, I would say I, I trust parents so much and I trust their, I would say if, if you think it, I think it because you know your kids better than anybody. A big philosophy of of our program is that parents are the best teachers and therapists. So, um, if if you think there might be something wrong, then you know, or that's not quite right, to reach out for help. And okay. this is a great program. Could you maybe share some of the benefits of? You know, I think a lot of parents have kind of a wait and see mentality when it comes to. I think something might be going on, but let's just wait and see. Let's just wait and see, and. I've heard, you know, through my social work experience, I've heard from people like yourself that really early can help so much. I wonder if there's any benefits you could share of getting help early um, in order to just support some of that development and growth. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Early, early intervention. I mean, when you think about just the brain building capacity that's happening happening in those early years, in particular, the first year of life, but but all the way up until five, that the, the brain is developing at such an incredible rate. I think um, the Harvard Center for Developing Child, they have um, so many great resources, but one of their um, big messages is what they call serve and return interactions. So, you know, that being attuned and responding to your child, and they have reported that in the first year of life, for every second of those rich interactions, there are a million brain connections happening. Oh. So in that first year of life, I know, isn't that per, per second, per second, this is a million brain connections happening each second, you are having that rich interaction with your baby. And so that first year of life, we're getting all these connections happening. And then there's this kind of pruning back that happens. So if we wait, we miss you know, that kind of golden window. And there's just so much research that supports wait and see is not, is not the answer. We would rather, you know, have a child come to us and, and say that they're, everything's okay, than wait and see. And there are many doctors who take a wait and see approach. So I always say, trust your gut. Man, a million per second. Isn't that crazy? I know I heard that we're actually going through some social emotional training right now with what's called the pyramid model. And that was shared in there. Um, that was like their latest updated statistic at a million connections per second. It's just, I share it with parents now. I'm like, oh my gosh, you just interacted with your child. Did you know you just made a million connections? <laughs> It really is incredible when you think about it. So a, a very large portion of our listenership are either adoptive or foster families. Um, and so with with having early disruption in some form or fashion in a child's story, it can interrupt those connections from being made. And so will you kind of talk about what, you know, what that disruption can mean from an OT standpoint and, and, and you know, how you might address that? Yeah. So from, yeah. So these kids who have like a disruption in that attachment cycle and they are parents who aren't tuning into that. We do a lot of parent training um, for sure to try and help parents understand the benefit and coaching parents of what those interactions look like. 
Um, and we might be getting into that infant massage part now that we were yeah. kind of talking about earlier as one of the tools that we use in early intervention or I use as an OT working with families that I, I find can be really beneficial to not just, you know, provide this sensory, super powerful sensory input, but also this, um, you know, this back and forth interaction that builds builds brain capacity. So um, I, that's that's one tool we definitely incorporate with every family. Okay, so let's get into massage then. <laughs> and let's talk about why, you know, what, what, first of all, what the need is for it. And then would you mind getting into the kind of biological weeds with us and helping us understand like the different things that are happening in the sensory systems in infant massage? Sure. I, I certainly can, can do my so ask questions if I'm, if, if I'm missing anything, but um, yeah. So, and people probably understand what massage is because most people have had a massage. And when we're talking infant massage, it's, it's applying that to an infant. So it's, it's a form of structured touch. It uses specific methods and techniques and different strokes that that can have different effects but parents should know aside from a couple of caveats there's there isn't a wrong way to touch your baby short of you know we want the pressure to be you know firm but gentle so not too hard not too soft I would say it's kind of like a tube of toothpaste. You know, you don't want to squeeze it too hard because it'll shoot everywhere, <laughs> right? Yeah, you yeah. want it to be just right. Um, and, you know, or massaging a newborn baby who maybe has, still has their umbilical cord attached, you know, to their belly. You don't, you don't want to massage their belly. So things like that. But parents should know, like, touching their baby in a way that their baby enjoys is is the goal. It's not about, I have to do this stroke exactly right you know, I, it's it's about building that connection and providing this this really powerful sensory input. And I mean, if we think about it, you know, the touch system, our skin, that's the largest sensory organ in our body. So, and for an infant, I mean, this it starts developing in utero, so around eight weeks. And by the time a baby's born, they really can uh, appreciate and experience a, a range of a full range of sensations so pain and hot and cold so so this system is ready to receive input and it's this is the way the baby learns about their environment is really through the touch system it's such it's such an important system early on um to support development so um and then one of the approaches when you talk about kind of this multi-sensory um, approach. Um, my my idea of massage has evolved over the years and I, I kind of uh, use a protocol that is more multi-sensory and I got this from Pathways. I don't know if you've heard of that website, but they have a great massage protocol. It's called the 3010 and it incorporates 30 seconds of talking to baby, 10 minutes of massage, five minutes of, of rocking, which provides that movement input. So if we break that down and what we're doing, so that 30 minutes of talking, we're making eye contact. We, we're using our soft voice, that mother ease voice. 
We're connecting with baby. We're asking permission. Are you ready for your massage? Um, making sure that that baby's on board too. And then we do our 10 minutes of massage where we're stimulating this, this amazing touch system and, and still talking to baby if baby can tolerate it. And then we end with some movement input. And that movement input provides um, stimulation to what we call the vestibular system. And that's the system, I know you're shaking, <laughs> that's the system in the inner ear that um, registers movement. So anytime our head moves, the system is, is stimulated. And this is another, it's one of our hidden senses and it's a, it's a primary sense. It's necessary for balance and, and movement later on. So um, that- And when you talk about that portion of it, are you talking about like holding them up, rocking around or like kind of sitting them up and moving them around like on a surface? What do you mean? Like holding holding them and and rocking them in a way baby likes, uh, usually back and forth, okay. side to side, or it could be front to back. It's, okay. it's depending on what baby likes. So, and still talking. I mean, yeah, you're not just yeah. rocking them out there in space. So, okay. When you say infant massage showed, and parents are listening, and some of them may have heard of it, may be familiar with it, and some wouldn't be. Is this something that you feel like every baby needs or would benefit from? Or is there like a targeted audience or like a why that you would use it? Like, it's just one of those things I have heard of it so little. I don't know a lot about it. So people are listening and they have a born baby. Is this something you think every baby can benefit from? Look into it. Is this something that you would say, hey, look for these signs. This is that they might benefit. Kind of your take on that. And this is just a genuine, I don't know. <laughs> Teach us. I love that. <laughs> um, I, I think every baby can benefit from it. I, I, I mean, the short answer of that, I, I, I share it with every family, at least give preliminary information. Some families that I work with are, are maybe not super interested in, you know, sitting down and doing a massage, but I always make sure I present that information and say, get some touch in at least once a day. So yeah, it's, I mean, the benefits are just, you know, re research is so funny because you can never say, you know, causation, but there's, there's research that supports some pretty nice benefits for massage. Um, and I know in our practice guidelines, it's, 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 um, our national organization, the American Occupational Therapy Association, they they rank, you know, this this has strong evidence, this has moderate and infant massage is considered one of those interventions for the birth to five population that has strong evidence supporting its use. Awesome. So yeah. I, I go by that too. They kind of review that. But yeah, the benefits. So having this daily you know, beautiful moment with your baby where you're providing this wonderful input and this interaction, just it can have benefits for re relaxation, sleep, feeding. Um, this is used in the, in the neonatal intensive care unit, some, some of them. Uh, I don't know the percentage, but they've done research on really tiny, tiny babies and found benefits in um, like reduced hospital stay times, improved weight gain. Um, and you think about those little babies who are in the neonatal intensive care unit yeah. and all of their touch experiences are, are I think it's like 95% are negative touch experiences. So, yeah, they're getting poked and prodded. And, and so to come in and say, no, touch is good and it's not something to be afraid of. So for those babies who've had a lot of medical intervention, 
it it can yeah. be super beneficial. Gosh, that's interesting. So, you know, we're we're hearing from you that this should just be kind of a daily routine for us, like a connection attachment building routine for us as parents in those early years. Um, what are some of the other things that we can be thinking through to help you know build those sensory connections, build the sensory system connections? Um, are there other things that parents can be doing during those birth to five years that are that can just become routines that can help build those systems up? Um, I, yeah, I think there are, you, you kind of mentioned um, some of them. I mean, setting setting regular routines so days are predictable and, you know, baby knows what to count on, regular meals, sleep times, all of those types of things. Um, reading to baby, we, we recommend starting to read. And by reading, we don't mean sitting down and reading, but talking about, you know, pictures, talking to baby, just that making that eye to eye contact at every diaper change is another form of connection, taking time out, you know, to, to just be with baby. Um, tummy time is a huge, huge, um, um, message for all of our families because it's, it's so important for, uh, sensory and motor development. There's so many containers out there now and so many things that that tempt parents um, to not have babies on their tummies. So uh, we encourage um, a lot of that and um, and monitoring those developmental milestones. I mean, if you know, if parents are noticing something that isn't right to to speak up. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that I I would say changed our life with having early OT in in our family's life was um, when our OT would sit down and explain with us exactly what was happening in our baby's brain, in her you know visual sense, her auditory sense, all that. Um, would you help us to understand kind of in those early intervention modes? Are there things that you see that to be the most common reasons that kids are coming in to 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 have early intervention? And if there's kind of a, a most common thing you're seeing, what is it, and how are you guys treating it, or are they all so different when they come in? Hmm. Yeah, I would say. I mean, we are you talking about just like an OT caseload, or because yeah. we get a range in. in yeah early intervention. Um, yeah, as an, as an OT, I, I work with, um, babies. I mean, we were seeing a lot of, of kids, uh, on the autism spectrum, but so you're talking about specifically babies and why they might come into early intervention. And, and if there's a, a comment, so for kids who are coming in on the autism spectrum, I, I know there are different treatments for different situations. Obviously there's a lot of assessment and testing that goes into that. Are there things that you see like here, here's one of our most common interventions and here's what it's doing in the brain and helping, you know, helping to sort out. Okay. Um, and I think it, yeah, it, it probably depends on the particular, like the age of the child and what the particular condition is. I mean, we really, have such a range of, of interventions. I, I feel like I've been in continuing education, you know, I don't know, for 20 years and learned so, so, and our staff is super experienced. We have such a toolbox that we pull from. So if we're talking about, you know, sensory, 
sensory issues, kids, you know, babies who might have sensory issues or suspected sensory issues. Mm -hmm. um, some of those things we talk about are, you know, environmental modifications, massage, um, deep pressure, uh, those types of things. And a child with um, the autism spectrum, we might be talking about like different, it, it all depends on their sensory needs, but different sensory activities to help you know, regulate. I mean, sensory is all about, um, you know, the child getting at the optimum level of regulation so they can engage in the environments and with their caregivers. So um, I'm not sure I'm getting to your question. Like if I'm answering, I feel like you're trying to get to something. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just, like I'm, I've always been fascinated by the sensory systems and the idea of sensory integration. And so I would watch some of the different therapies that our kids were going through and I would just be amazed like this looks like you're just spinning on the floor right now and then I would hear the explanation of what was actually happening in the brain and then see obviously the results of it later on and I was mesmerized by that and so um so yeah I mean I'm, I'm just fascinated by what OTs do um yeah such there's such invisible senses and and it's hard to it's it's hard to generalize i think and be like this is what we do for for mm -hmm. every you know you're looking at it from this is your particular child and they have vestibular needs so we're spinning them and and it's and it's stimulating this part of the vestibular system and this is the response we're getting mm -hmm. and that's the clinical sensory reasoning that happens mm -hmm. so and it's so individualized right mm -hmm. it's 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 so true yeah so I'm not, yeah, I was like, I think he's trying to get at something. <laughs> no, we just want to pick your brain. It's fun to talk to someone who just has such a depth of knowledge and expertise. Um, I'm wondering, you were talking earlier about how a huge part of your role is just parent education, um, parent coaching, and just helping parents. And I am, I'm going to say something, don't want us to open a can of worms. So I think technology has changed everything. I think that's fair to say. And I think some of what it changed. I'm and not asking you to say whether I'm not, we're not going to take a position on screen time for baby or for parent. But what I'm curious about is with that shift, you know, you talk about how much is happening as they grow and develop their muscles, their all those senses are just growing so much. I wonder, you know, I think, I think back to um, you know. Are you teaching parents how to play with their baby? And what are some of the lessons that you share? Are you teaching, like, what are some of those lessons that you're imparting on people that they may or may not know? Because I think on one hand, knows that you should, you know, smile at your baby and play with baby, but maybe people how often they should do that or how much they need or so any kind of that you would want to share with people about just taking care of a young baby. What do they need? parents what's most helpful those types of things what what would come to mind with with that kind of question yeah <clears throat> well when when and we're talking about about babies here that's such that's such a good question and it's and it really is so in, individualized but there are and i agree with you on screen time completely and and the um american academy of pediatrics actually recommends no screen time except for video calls for children under 18 months so and, and that's that's a really great point. We go into a lot of homes where TVs are on, you know, for kids, and there are educational shows that 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I was thinking about for our, we, we've got four kids. So by yeah. the time that our fourth came along, she was six years younger, five years younger than everybody else. So everybody else was sort of in that, like they're watching, it wasn't Bluey then because I'm old, but like it'd be Bluey now, you know, like the stuff is on TV. And so, you know, our our youngest was definitely getting screen time before 18 months, you know, and and we feel like we tried to keep a pretty good lid on it, but that's really interesting to know that number. Yeah, it's, it's, and I mean, I don't know how realistic that is in today's age, especially with older kids. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's going to happen, but it's a good idea. We do share that with families about screen time. It's, it's always interesting to try and coach families because you're, you're coming into their space Right. And you don't want to be this person that comes in and tells them it tells everything they're they're not doing. You turn off that TV and, don't, you know, right. so it's really about building a relationship with that parent and and figuring out how they learn best. And we really base our program on their priorities. It's not about what I what I want to accomplish because it has to matter to them. And if a parent for instance, and I, you know, run into this older kids who are still on the bottle, you know, they're over two and they're on the bottle. And, and I'm not saying anything bad about that, but because it can be a sense of comfort, it's helping that child sleep and they are aware of all the problems that it could cause, but they would prefer to have sleep. So it's yeah. not up to me to come in and say, get rid of the bottle because I'm not, you know, this is, it has to be important to them. So right, right. Um, yeah, parent we're there to support the family. It's not just about child. So sometimes that what we might want to do, it's a little bit different than in a clinic, what we might want to do to say support development of that child, tummy time, massage, whatever doesn't happen because the family doesn't have food on the table, you know, or they're not sleeping. Um, yeah. You know, they have somebody sick in the family. So it's it's a it it can be it's it's beautiful because they're inviting us into their space but at the same time we it's we don't always get to do everything we want we, we want to do right so i guess one thing that i would love to know um as we talked today about this i think about how many parents you're interacting with and how many you have interacted with over the years um and maybe it's just the list that you just rattled off just now are there a couple things that you see that are the I've I've got to share this advice every single time that we have parents come in, not in a shaming way, but just are are there some like greatest hits of things that you find you're having to help walk parents through in this idea of making sure that you're providing like a sensory rich environment for your baby early on in life? Um yeah, yes, yes. I mean, infant massage is definitely one of those. Um, and I'll just start with with the babies I work with, infant massage, uh, tummy time, and helping through developmental milestones. The, the sensory part is introduced, I think, when there are, you know, sensory is really interesting because we all have sensory quirks. Ba babies can show sensory, you know, needs, but then you talk to parents and you go, how are your daily routines? And they're like, they're great. <laughs> so it's, you know, sensory becomes a need when it, when it impacts, you know, what, what you want to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So yeah. those sensory things are introduced 
kind of on an as-needed basis. And not that we don't talk about getting outside. I mean, that's another one is, is that outdoor time. You talk about screen time, they say nature time. So, um, and and making sure kids have have plenty of movement. I mean, as they get older, I think that does become a struggle is, is parents will, you know, be frustrated because kids are, you know, bouncing off the walls and, and, and it's cold outside. And, and so we are, I am sharing as an OT, those, those, that sensory information and the need for kids to move on a regular basis. Um, especially, it, you know, those toddler years, they require a lot, a lot of movement. So to stay yeah. organized. It's so funny when you think about, um, you know, like I think it, uh, toddlers take naps. Like that's something that I just kind of, I have nieces and nephews and I'm like, they take naps. But when you just said that you were saying toddlers need a lot of movement and I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. So that's a good shift because it's like toddlers need a nap, it's mad at a needing a nap, but we do get annoyed. You need to move. So that's how you said that. That was a good point. Yeah, they they definitely do. And and you think about it going back to that movement system in our inner ear, right? There's there's a lot of uh, maturity and development that's happening in those early years. Yeah. So that movement, that system is not getting the input it needs. So mm-hmm. it's not even just about I they need the movement because they're busy. Like their bodies need the movement for development. Yeah. And, and so yeah, we're definitely sending that message a lot. There's a principle and I feel I'm going to feel a little bit dumb asking this question, Jody, but I have in my mind from like an old college psychology class that like there's this like use it or lose it principle. Is that true? Is that what is that kind of what you're describing? I know that that's not the scientific term, but is there this principle of we have to use these systems during those years when those million connections are being made and all the way up until is that true? Is that a myth? Um, again, I feel asking it, but I want to know <laughs> what is that a true principle, and is that you're talking about there? Yeah, I think I, that that's that's definitely true, and I maybe you've heard or heard about some of the experiments with the Reese's monkeys and and yeah, right, right. I mean, that, those are kind of some of the early um, experiences of that sensory deprivation. So you talk about you know use it or lose it, and and um there was a great series on pbs called the brain and it tracked brain development through the lifespan and and one part of it was about um these boys who had come from an orphanage and had been you know they were in cribs and um no real human interaction and um they were all adopted by the same family and the impact like the the child that was the oldest spent the most time like you saw the greatest impact in his life as he they were they were adults when they interviewed them so and the child who was adopted when he was under 2 had had less he had recovered a little bit more from that deprivation so i think that's what you're talking about right use it or yeah. lose and that that early um nurturing and, and interaction sensory exposure is is critical to development. And to kind of come full circle to where we started when you were talking about NICU babies having maybe like 95% negative touch, but then you were saying like, there's hopefulness there. We can do infant massage. We can encourage, like we can 
um, do some things to course correct from where the train might be off the tracks. And so I just heard, you know, in all the things you're sharing, little glimmers of um, we can do things as as parents, as caregivers, we can do things to help support that growth, which is encouraging because we can't control some of those other factors. You can't control if they have medical challenges or if there's um, PICU stays or NICU stays or uh, other things that pop up. So it's encouraging to know that there's pieces we can. I think my last question for you is just, it sounds, I hear when you talk about just your deep care for parents and you said it a couple of times, a couple of different ways. You don't want to come in and tell them what to do. You want to make sure you're taking care of them. So I wonder if um, you just have anything that comes to mind when it comes to what advice do you have for parents to take care of themselves as they're trying to take care of babies and toddlers? Um, anything that comes to mind on how they can care for themselves during that season of life? Yeah, I, I think um, I'm going to I'm going to take it back to infant massage, yeah, please, <laughs> um, because there are benefits um, for not just baby, but for um, for parents. So some of the research has been done with mothers and fathers who are providing infant massage and that it can help with um, symptoms of depression and stress and anxiety. And, and when obviously when, when mom is feeling better, then she connects better with baby. And I'm not saying spend more time, but thinking about that idea of, you know, as a parent, you, you're also going to get benefit from, um, massaging baby. They have, documented that it increases the release of those feel-good hormones like oxytocin for both mom and baby, and that it reduces stress hormones. So that idea, and I, I know there are other things, you know, ask for help and, and take time for yourself, but just know like that infant massage, I know we kind of wanted to talk about that anyways, but that there are benefits on both ends. Yeah, two-way street. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. And that, that whole idea of resilience, I mean, if we're talking about TBRI mm -hmm. and the idea of resilience and what are we building in to that? You said that there's hope. Absolutely. You can, you can, you know, there's so much that can happen just by having those rich interactions and, and infant massage incorporates so many of those TBRI principles. I was, we were kind of talked about that earlier, but I know even before we hit record, no, I wonder if you could share some of those, yeah. even and that was before we hit yeah. the record, we were taught, we got excited, got into all the ways that the TBI principles are so aligned. I wonder if you'd share those with people. Yeah, that, I know. That's what I was most excited about when we were talking about this. And I've started to look at TBR. I'm like, wow, it's like it it just it fits. So so like, of course, the whole idea of healthy touch. These are all the engagement principles, right? The eye to eye contact that's happening during infant massage, especially if you're doing that talking to baby beforehand and during um, voice quality. That's another one, right? And staying playful. And we encourage talking in that kind of mother ease, that sing-songy, are you ready? That that soothing. Um, and just and and that playful interaction. You know, you can smile at baby. And so I thinking of all those things, and we're building, you know, we're disarming fear, we're building connection and trust. It's all in there. And it and it happens for both mom or dad and baby. So good. Uh, I guess before we go, if 
Is there anything else within that world of TBRI, early intervention, um, that you want to make sure that you cover today or, or, or share with parents as they're listening to this or babies, if the babies are listening to this? And babies, yeah, they might be listening too. <laughs> I just think if, if parents are interested in, you know, takeaway messages, if they're concerned, they feel something's wrong, reach out for help. If they're interested in learning about infant massage, there, you know, it, there's there are lots of things on YouTube. Just know you can't can't do do it wrong if you and baby are enjoying it, um, and it'll it, try and fit that in, you know, once a day. Um, and and to just if you choose to do that, relax and enjoy that process yourself. So, um, yeah, I think just you know if if their concerns to not wait. Awesome. Jody, thank you. Thank you. It was thank great you for letting us pick brain and thank you for following. I think we just kept getting it about different tangents. So thank you for following those tangents with us. It's just great to sit with you today and really kind of think about those that infant and how we can really be intentional there. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. It was great to be here. Thank you for having me course. Well, listen, I will tell you, 1 million connections per second is not the number I would have guessed if we were guessing how many neuropathway connections or how, how many brain connections are happening uh, per second during a child's first year of development. That is mind-blowing. And so, um, again, a big thank you to Jody and, and, her, and for her time today and sharing all that she shared and for all the work she's doing um, in early intervention. Like, very, very important work that's happening um, in uh, in Michigan. So, um, a big thanks to her. A big thanks always to Becca for joining us uh, and for you for joining us. And so, uh, just some general announcements and reminders. If you have not rated or reviewed our show on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on YouTube, please make sure you do that. Um, it helps our podcast to be able to be placed in the different algorithms for people who are looking for podcasts like ours. If you've never shared our podcast with a friend or anybody who is also parenting, please do that as well. And so we would love to um, be able to uh, get the podcast into the hands of everybody who needs it, wants it, wants to listen one day. So uh, with all that said, for everybody here at Empowered to Connect, for Becca McKay, for uh, Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.